the reality is there's different types of motivation for different behaviors. <laughs> so, you know, I always say like a lot of people that I work with will be like, well, I'm so lazy. I'm just like getting home from work and like sitting on the couch. I'm so lazy. I'm not motivated to move my body. And uh, it's like, well, you're motivated in that moment for rest. Hello, Sean. Thank you Hi, so much Heather. for being here. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. We were just chatting before we hit record and kind of sharing in our health struggles mm-hmm. that we're going through right now. I've yeah. been on the mend with a, a chest cough and you're on the mend as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, for the, the part of me that really loves to do and achieve and kind of feeds my worth. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. frustrating. <laughs> yeah. But I am moving forward and excited for this conversation. <laughs> me too. I am too. And that's where I like this morning parts of me were like, should I, should I, you know, let her know that we need to reschedule? And I was like, no, I really want to do this. And yeah. I'm just going to be honest with you all listening that if I cough at various points, I'm coughing and healing from that. And we were saying we've got our waters, we've got our liquids, we've got our mints. <laughs> yeah, I literally have three drinks in my reaching points. <laughs> yeah, I've got my ginormous thing of cold water my hydro flask and Mm -hmm. my thing of mints on the other side along with some tissues so as we're (laughs) recording this it is november hence the illnesses season yep tis the season yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. but yeah i'm really excited to connect with you on the podcast and to talk Mm -hmm. about what you really love to do and what you specialize in and all of that. Cause I know we have IFS in common and we have a friend in common of, you know, Kim Daniels in terms of, I think that's how we met mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited to, to dive in and to invite the listeners to who don't know you already to get to know you and yeah. to have this conversation about motivation, which I think mm-hmm. is so interesting and we're going to get into this question of like, what was your journey leading up to like specializing in motivation? Mm-hmm. And well, maybe let's start with that. What, what was your journey? How did you get to that? Yeah, it was quite the journey. Um, I, so I, I pretty, from a young age knew that I sort of wanted to study psychology, eating health, um, all those things. And, you know, really looking back, I think then and now it was sort of a way for me to justify working on healing my own stuff. And so been somewhat aware of that for a while and maybe over the past, I mean, open, open about that, but open more publicly about that for a handful of years. And it's been kind of freeing to say like, yeah, there is a part of me that's really resourceful that, you know, studied what I studied because I knew I needed to work it out myself. And, you know, so much of, so I went, um, I went to uh, undergrad psychology and then I went to graduate school. I got my PhD in clinical psychology and I, um, my 
research area I had wanted to do research at the time was both eating disorders and uh, obesity treatment and prevention. Mm. Yeah. So I kind of was, which is interesting because those are fields that are very, um, have very differing views and even the using the term obesity for many people in sort of the weight inclusive health at every size field would not like that term because and I I don't actually use that term except to describe my field because it's based on the body mass index and body mm. mass index is, is BS but um mm-hmm. I digress yeah. <laughs> so so anyways I was in that field kind of at the same time having my own uh disordered eating slash eating disorder struggles various different categories but um yeah, wasn't really able to find my own solutions in what I was learning. So really, it wasn't until after graduation, I kind of had my own. I, I was working in in school, kind of seeking out additional resources, actually a podcast I found really helpful. That was very not our traditional uh, training podcast <laughs> at the time. Yeah. I found that really helpful. Um, and then I eventually read into eating and kind of achieved my own kind of peace and freedom from food many years ago. And um, so all, all this to say, I know your question was about, you know, why motivation? And mm-hmm. uh, I think it was around postdoc, I had sort of just continued to question, like the way we're doing things in this field is not really getting people results. It certainly didn't get me results in terms of, you know, whether results is freedom from, you know, a peaceful relationship with food or, uh, you know, the result many of people were looking for was long-term weight loss. Uh, we weren't successful, right? Like when we look yeah. at the data, it wasn't really achieving much. And so there is a theory of motivation called self-determination theory that a mentor of mine at that time, I was sort of expressing my frustrations with the field and sort of like, this, none of this makes sense. Like we need to do better. And she introduced me to that um, theory of motivation. It's a very well-studied theory of motivation across a variety of behaviors, not just health or eating behavior. That's just one small component. And for me at that time, it sort of helped to provide some context of why we're doing it, how, why and how we're doing it wrong. Um, and we can, I know we can get into the details of that yeah. a bit here. So that was sort of how I made sense of why the ways we're doing it, where we're not fostering that internal autonomous motivation in a lot of areas of our lives, um, but definitely as it comes to eating. And so this idea that we can trust ourselves, this idea that we can move towards, you know, finding ways of eating and moving that feel really good, you know, and and a big piece of that is because we have determined that this is the body size that is the healthy body size, the good body size. And, um, it's arbitrary and, and really harmful. And, and that's only, you know, that's certainly one big piece of where the field is getting it wrong. And so, yeah, since that time, I've kind of continued to do my own personal work and, uh, and I, I've moved away from research. I think of my podcast a little bit is like research and real life stories collide. Mm-hmm. Um, I still take a research evidence-based view of things. Um, research career just wasn't for me <laughs> it wasn't going to offer me the quality of life I wanted and uh yeah. yeah so now I have a private practice and uh my podcast and various things that I'm doing all the time on the side 
to try to get these messages and um, people access to the tools that really help them build that body trust and that sort of long-term autonomous motivation for whatever they want to do in their life. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I'm curious because a question that I also had for you was what was your training in, in regards mm-hmm. to, because uh, you were mentioning, you know, like what you were learning and, and practicing, you're like, this isn't really working. Yeah. What, can you share like what that was or like what that looked like or sounded like? Sure. So most of my, I had a variety of different um, training approaches to, to therapy. Um, I worked on a lot of NIH trials for weight loss. I was more in the weight loss world than I was in the eating disorder world. So I'll just mention that. But yeah, generally cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy were really big in um, my program. And so I got a lot of training in both of those and a little bit in some psychodynamic approaches. And so there was some flavors of, and later in my training, some interpersonal type approaches and, and some DBT. But yeah, those were the main ones that I got formal training in. And not IFS. <laughs> not IFS. Yeah. And so kind of looking back now, in your opinion, like why do you feel like those other modalities maybe weren't doing it for you? Um, I always said that uh, I especially CBT, maybe a little bit less with ACT. Um, I was like, CBT is not understanding the amount of pain that I and other people are in. It felt very dismissive to me. It felt like, just yeah. think this way. And I'm like, I can't, it's yeah. too hard. And I always, and, you know, broadly it keeps us in our head and mm-hmm. not in our bodies, which this is like body work. I mean, That's all right. work is body work. Um, yeah. so, but I remember feeling very and I think when ACT, when I learned ACT, I was like so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I learned IFS, I was like, is this just another ACT where I get really excited? And I think there's still value to acceptance and commitment therapy. I oh, think yeah. there's a lot of overlap and mm-hmm. it's not like I don't use that now, but, and I honestly, even CBT, I think there's some things that it's not like we need sure. to that all out. Right. But yeah, I didn't feel like I didn't feel like they got it or got me <laughs> or understood, you know, some of the, the, the deeper pain that um, wasn't getting addressed. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point to bring up that it's not addressing the deeper pain that, you know, things like CBT can be helpful, mm-hmm. in my opinion, now looking back at it as a kind of like a surf- surface level, kind of in the moment, you know, maybe type resource or tool that someone can use to bring awareness to, okay, what thoughts am I having? And what is that leading me to to do behavior wise? And then is there a challenge I could, you know, and again, that can be useful in, in some degrees. But like you said, it's not getting to the core. It's not getting to, you know, what's really needing to be maybe healed and addressed. And I now, like from an IFS lens, I look at it and it's very manager driven in the mm-hmm. sense that it's it's like, okay, notice the part that's having the thought and then challenge that part and maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily turn towards it with full like compassion, curiosity, wanting to really understand it. It's kind mm-hmm. of more that energy of like, oh, yes, you're here and now I'm going to challenge you. 
And yeah. Yeah. And to me, that has a very manager driven energy. Yeah, for sure. And the only thing I'll add to that, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And what's interesting though, and I think this speaks to why the relationship with your therapist is the most important thing above all else is I have a, a coach and I know one of your questions is how did I learn of IFS? I learned it through my parent coach and she'll use there. It's not necessarily CBT, but she'll use some coaching tools where we're looking at, like she says, like the sentence going through your brain. And I find it really helpful, but it's because I feel very seen and understood by her Mm. and I'm able to take that in. And it's not, we still have to do the deeper healing work. Right. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think why she likes IFS. She doesn't necessarily, well, she's starting to learn and incorporate it a bit more. Yeah. So it's like, if that part can feel like we're, we get it and we're not saying it's bad, but we're just like getting curious about what's, what's going through that part's mind. What's the sentence Mm -hmm. going through your mind and how it's impacting. So I think there can be but it's, it's all about like, do, do you feel seen and understood by the person in front of you? I think is, um, you know, so important or do those parts feel seen and understood by the person yeah. in front of them? Exactly. And yeah, I look back on the way that I used to do therapy and again, there's, there's pros and there's helpful tools and, and how I was doing it, but I was coming at it from again, kind of more of like a manager driven energy where someone was coming to me being like, Oh, I have anxiety. And I would say things like, Oh, okay. Well, here's some of these things to help you get rid of that or to challenge that. And again, those resources and tools can be extremely beneficial if now, in my opinion, used in a way that's meant to connect with your self energy of curiosity Mm -hmm. and calm and compassion to then be able to turn towards the part, not with the intention to push the part away and reject it, but to actually connect with it further so that you have Mm -hmm. clarity. And that to me has been so impactful. Yeah. And yeah. So, so in terms of IFS, that was my other question for you in terms of how did you get introduced to IFS and in Mm -hmm. your uh, professional work and personal Mm -hmm. work? Yeah, it was, uh, I think, um, a year and a half ago, I joined a parent coaching program because I was seeking support with my strong-willed kiddo. And I, yeah, through that, um, it's sort of came up naturally in some of our discussions because my parent coach, I mean, it's, she's really good at what she does. She's not a therapist. And she's just, she was really someone who, introduce the model to me. And then when I learn something and I explore it and I find value in it, I kind of dive in. So I listened to the book, No Bad Parts, but I think I also immediately joined the online circle. Um, Mm -hmm. I have best like self-paced program that I could get into. So I dove in and started doing the exercises myself. But honestly, too, I think working with her helped me realize I had a part of me every time I would approach therapy for myself, I would be like, well, I have to, I'm leading this. I'm in charge, (laughs) like sort of a manager part. And I think having someone like her who is very intuitive and good at what she does, um, I was like, oh, maybe someone could actually help me. So it also um, allowed me to switch to a different therapist. So it allowed me to deepen my work in a number of ways, um, personally and professionally. And uh, 
very grateful for that because it's been, you know, an amazing paradigm and tool for both of those things. Yeah. And yeah, that was another question I had for you is, you know, how do you feel like incorporating IFS informed information and ways of looking at ourselves and others, how do you feel like that's impacted your work with clients, specifically with disordered eating behaviors and in other ways? Yeah. I mean, it's been great because, you know, specifically to my, you know, I work with people, yeah, on disordered eating, weight related concerns. Um, but I work with people on a variety of other things as, you know, you might guess, um, we're not just staying at that, those symptoms or those surface level things, but I think it provided me a really nice framework to understand some of the work that I was trying to do and and helping people navigate. Um, a lot of the work that I do might be someone might have something like binge eating disorder, but they also might, um, really be struggling and desiring weight loss. And maybe even, uh, I used to work in bariatric surgery clinics. So a number of people have had that surgery or considering it. And so we're navigating this really nuanced space, um, which IFS, I think helped me to understand that we can help them and I was trying to do this, but IFS just gave me better language for it, I think, giving voice to those parts of them that want weight loss and exploring the reasons for wanting that and and not making those parts wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe providing some education about where, you know, weight and health have been too, <laughs> way too interlinked. And we have to help understand that, you know, the, the messages you've been given about you need to lose weight for these reasons might be wrong. But giving those parts a true voice and true understanding and also helping them to know that they know what's best for them, not me. Mm -hmm. And I'm just here to help guide that. So listening to that part, but also listening to the parts that are really worried about even thinking about weight loss or listening to the weight loss part because they've maybe worked really hard on their relationship with food. Maybe they've overcome some serious eating disorder and they don't want to go back. Mm -hmm. And so that specific polarization has been incredible, um, incredibly mm-hmm. helpful. And I was trying to do it, but honestly, you know, struggling a little bit and maybe a little bit still, but less so now, I think with my professional identity of like having a foot in these different worlds of the weight loss world and the eating disorder world. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think IFS just helped me to, I, I think I have a little more confidence in like, we can trust and listen to all of these parts of you and help you figure out what's best for you. And yeah, so that's been great. And there's been a number of other ways that I think IFS has increased my confidence and compassion as a clinician. Um, Mm -hmm. So we can go into those two, but that I would say that's number one um, in terms of the, the day-to-day work that I do. Yeah. I could definitely relate when I started to learn about IFS and getting to understand the model and then eventually getting formally trained it, it it very much so it was so helpful to bring clarity for sure within our myself but then especially working with people to just have a, a way of being able to see ourselves and to see the other person in the sense of we are multiple we have these various parts within us that have you know, this positive intention for us, but that might be polarized, like you said, and wanting to go about maybe some of these things in maybe completely different ways. 
or Mm -hmm. parts that are, like you said, maybe wanting to lose weight. And then maybe there's parts in there that are fearful about that for various reasons. Like you Mm -hmm. said, maybe there's a history of parts within the system that looked and, you know, and acted like, you know, eating disorders and, and things to that nature. And that had a negative impact for the person, both yeah. psychologically and physically. And I, I, I really, yeah, I really appreciate the IFS kind of way of looking at a person mm-hmm. that yeah. these are all parts within us that are there for a reason. They're there for yeah. a reason and they have a positive intention. And if we can get curious about that and help provide that container of self-energy with the client to help their system allow that spaciousness to get connected with their self-energy so that then they can get curious, I just feel like, yeah, it's a game changer. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's been lots and lots of, I'm like, we could talk all day about the ways that it's helped me shift. And so, I mean, I'm grateful for that. And honestly, also... I mentioned sort of that professional identity piece. I think it's helped me understand the polarization in the health space that I've talked about for a long time, but it's just provided more context to like, oh, this makes a lot of sense that especially, let's just say, for example, um, people in like the health at every size space that I very much align with can get incredibly triggered and angry when people use the wrong language or they say things that could cause harm from a disordered eating lens, you know, for example, like the concept of food addiction is incredibly controversial and especially in that space. And I was sort of watching this and I've been in both worlds and I was like, I get it, but we're just, we're yelling at each other and we're shaming people. And that didn't feel right to me. Um, but it helped me to have compassion, I think for, for both, um, sides of a variety of Mm -hmm. uh, arguments and, yeah, I can just speak from the health space because I'm very familiar with that one, but it helped me yeah. to be like, ah, these are protector led parts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then, you know, accidentally when we have protector led systems that we've created or even groups, you know, even something as simple as like a Facebook group, right. It can, uh, get a little, get a little intense <laughs> and, yeah. uh, we can have compassion for that and, and understand mm-hmm. that and know we're all prone to that, but also kind of look at where that might you know, not be what a client needs, for example. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of then circling back to motivation, because yeah. it sounds like when you came across that model, what was it called again? Uh, motiva- self-determination theory. Self-determination yeah. theory. Mm-hmm. When you came across that, it sounds like that really resonated with your system. Yeah. And you've even so much as, you know, you you call your podcast the motivation made easy. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> and so yeah. I'd love to go deeper about, mm-hmm. you know, what is motivation? Because mm-hmm. I, I know that there are different types. Yep. And yeah, let's dive into that. Yeah. What is, yeah. what is motivation? Let's start there. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. So first of all, there's a myth that it's like, like you said, there's different types. It's not like a thing we have or we don't have, but that's kind of how we talk about it, right? You're either motivated or you're not. Right. But the reality is there's different types of motivation for different behaviors. <laughs> so, you know, I always say like a lot of people that I work with will be like, well, I'm so lazy. I'm just like getting home from work and like sitting on the couch. I'm so lazy. I'm not motivated to move my body. And uh, 
like, well, you're motivated in that moment for rest, right? Like, yeah. so that's the behavior that we're more motivated for at that time. And, and just understanding that um, there are different, yeah, there's different, I think there's technically five that the theory I will say is a great, well-studied, very scientific theory. It can get kind of jargony. So we'll go big picture. Um, if you're, people want all the details and all the research, they can go to selfdeterminationtheory.org. There's really um, a ton of resources there. But um, yeah, so there's there's really the two main categories of motivation that are most important to understand when we think about any behavior. So let's say, you know, we just pick a behavior for an example to walk through it. Um, getting up and taking a walk outside with your dog. Maybe that's a behavior you want to do in the morning. And um, you can have either more autonomous motivation for that. There's two types of autonomous motivation. One is intrinsic motivation. That's the most to the right-hand side. That's you do the behavior because you truly love it. You would do it regardless of whether you've got any benefit from it. Um, you just love it. So maybe that could be true for going on a walk with your dog, right? Mm -hmm. And not surprisingly, this type of motivation is most you know, definitely associated with continuing to do that thing. So yeah, again, it's the, you get some inherent satisfaction from the behavior itself. So you enjoy it, you find it interesting or challenging in its own right. And then the other type of autonomous motivation is what I would think of as, I mean, even going back to acceptance and commitment therapy, sort of value-based motivation. Maybe mm -hmm. you, you're very aligned, you're choosing this behavior, but um, no one else is forcing it, but maybe you don't love it. For me, my example of this would probably be like cooking. I just occasionally I like it, but most of the time yeah. I just do it because I want to feed my family at home as much as I can mm -hmm. and save money. Right. right. Um, so it's aligned with my values. No one's forcing me to do it, but um, that would be an example of <clears throat> sort of a, they call it integrated motivation. So it's doing it for a choice and not surprisingly, those two types of motivation, if those are your reasons, you're going to be more likely to continue to do that behavior long-term. So this is why okay. it matters. Um, your motivation type is going to influence how likely you are to be doing that behavior a year from now. If we come in and check, Hey, are you still doing that thing you wanted to be doing? Yeah. It, can I ask a question? You know, so yeah. we've got intrinsic motivation, which is doing something because you just naturally love it. You enjoy yeah. it. And it's just mm -hmm. something you love to do. Mm -hmm. And then value-based motivation where you don't necessarily love it, but it's within like your value system. And mm -hmm. so you're like, okay, like you said, like, I'm going to cook dinner for my family because I value wanting to provide for my family, you know, mm -hmm. in that way and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense to me that if someone's motivation is within those two things, that it's more likely to, to be long-term and consistent. Mm -hmm. So... I guess like there's a part of me that's like, but like, <laughs> what if, I guess, what is the benefit of knowing, is there a benefit in knowing what behaviors we already do that fall under those two things? Like, is that something that you use with someone in terms of being like, okay, so what are the things that are already there in your life that you're doing that mm -hmm. fall under those two categories just to help bring awareness? Yeah, I, I think there is. And one of the, the questions on my podcast that I ask all of my guests is what's something you have intrinsic motivation for? That's easy for people. Actually, both questions are pretty easy to come up with. I think it's it's helpful 
I will say I don't necessarily talk about this theory of motivation with clients all that much um, because it's very researchy. It makes sense. It's like it's for me as a provider to make sense of things and how the field is doing things wrong. If they really love motivation theory, I might talk a little bit about it. But on a day to day, I'm not talking about these things. And the podcast, I will, because it's more about the, the bigger picture. But yeah, the other I ask people what I call from a should to a choose to. I like to ask people for something that used to be a should and will it was more controlled motivation, which is the other type we'll talk about in a second here. And now they've found a way to integrate it and and do it more consistently. Um, I like to ask people that because I think that's really interesting to see how we shift from a should to a choose to. And and maybe occasionally we should shift to intrinsic, right? Like if I keep cooking consistently and get good enough, I might intrinsically love it one day. It hasn't really happened yet, but it's so may, things right? can shift is what yes. you're saying. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yep. Things can shift and there's ways to help them shift. And sometimes they don't right? like some things we just may never intrinsically love and that's fine. I may even mm-hmm. never love cooking and that's fine, but they can shift. And we can also not to make it too complicated, but we can have more than one type of motivation for the same behavior. So Um, So you might really know that you value cooking at home, but, and we're going to talk about controlled motivation here in a second here, but if you have a lot of shoulds around that behavior and a lot of external um, pressure, that might short-term help you do it. Um, If you think about weight loss dieting or getting into a new, like, effort because I really should, or I'm okay, I'm really going to just cook at home for 30 days. I'm going to do something extreme like whole 30 or something, nothing against that, but Mm -hmm. then short term, you might do it. But when it really comes from that pressuring place, especially from a shame-based pressuring place, right? Like I need to change my body. Um, that's going to be more associated with fits and starts of motivation. And it's going to make it harder to really enjoy it. It's going to make it harder Mm -hmm. to feel like a choice because it feels controlled by other people telling you what, what you should do or what your body should look like. And I'm also curious too, kind of looking at it from a parts perspective, could it also be, you know, those shoulds and criticisms becoming from a part within them Mm -hmm. that are, that's doing that, right. That's, that's saying you should be cooking every meal at home for your family. And you're a bad mom. (laughs) You're a bad mom. If you're not cooking every night, you know, for your family, Mm -hmm. that that could be coming from a part of them. And like you said, it might have moments of temporarily changing that behavior and having someone, would you say like maybe go through spurts where like they are Mm -hmm. cooking at home every night for their family, but because it's coming from like a critical shame place that's also probably connected to a fear whatever that might be you know that comes Mm -hmm. from their history or something like that it's not Mm going to turn into probably like an intrinsic motivation it it probably might lead to you know polarizations within which then Mm -hmm. leads to like anxiety or you know something like that so yeah I'm glad that you brought that up of noticing the shoulds yeah and the the only you know, actually, the person, the part of me that loves these, like conversations where we get into the nitty gritty of this is just having so much fun and so excited right now, because I actually haven't, I've had these conversations about the motivation theory on podcasts for years, but I haven't gotten as much from the parts perspective. But 
yeah, there's two main categories of external motivation or controlled motivation. And one is ex external or extrinsic, which is really like, my doctor told me I should, right? Or this person is making me or they're going to punish me if I don't, right? Um, I'm going to get a, if I don't lose weight, I'm going to get, you know, a surcharge on my insurance or something that's external motivation. But then there's another type that's called introjected motivation. And that's when we've internalized these negative messages that we've gotten about our bodies and what a good mom does or a good person mm. does. And that's sort of that, uh, you know, one of those inner critic parts that yeah. seems like most of us have at some level and uh, they're very protective. Right. And I right. Would say, yeah, it's very, very common. Yeah, that's really cool that that I mean, it makes sense that this theory mm -hmm. includes that as well, because that's huge. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. and and also too, what I find really interesting is in IFS re research about inner critics, the belief is that we're not just like born with inner critic part parts, like it actually typically will come from an external source first. Mm -hmm. And then that's where then a part of us can kind of take on that job and role of like being that inner critic in order to kind of beat the punch, so to say yeah. of like, well, yeah. this has been so hurtful and painful for me to receive this external criticism or shoulds from this other person that now I have this, these wounded part or parts within me that now carry that shame. So now this inner critic protector is kind of like given this job of, all right, well then I'm just going to beat them to it, the external person. Yeah. And I'm just going to go ahead and do all that shaming and criticism within first with the intention that it doesn't feel as painful, but it still yeah. just ends up being in that shame cycle. And mm -hmm. like you're saying, we might have like, it sounds like periods of changing behaviors based on that shaming, but it's not going to be longstanding and it's not going to lead to a balanced, right. <laughs> like a balanced, healthy state within. Yeah, no, I think that makes a ton of sense. And yeah, I definitely am thinking about all the different ways that different examples, but one main one being just like, we're bombarded with like, this is the right body. This is the good body. This is what we're supposed to look like. Or even, yeah, this is the right amount to eat, right? Like this is what a good person eats this portion or eats this type of food. And if you have a desire, if your body doesn't look like that, or if you have desire to eat more or, you know, have different mm -hmm. things that you've gotten messages, then the internalized critic can come in and be like, nope, that's bad. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, it, it's uh, powerful work because most of us have a variety of those types of parts. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense too, looking at it from like a cultural perspective, as well mm -hmm. as of course, like family, you know, a nuclear family, mm -hmm. like what's going on there? Like what messages did your parents give you about, you know, body type and body image and all of that, but also the culture, right? Yeah. Like where you live in the world and the messages that we're receiving that impact our system and the parts of us that are, you know, if we're not coming home and going for a walk immediately, and then there's a part of us that maybe is connected to like a burdened belief that like you said, yeah, I'm a bad person if I'm not going on a walk, I don't know, every day, like right after yeah. work, you know, that's what a healthy person does, you know, quote unquote, or something like that. Right, right. And then if you're not doing that, 
then yeah, then again, like that could lead to feeling all that shame. Yeah. It, it just, as you're describing this theory, it, it, I just think it's really cool. Yeah. To then kind of break it down in terms of like this part stuff. And so knowing this, and I know you said you don't necessarily talk about this with your clients, but I guess like yeah. what is going on in your mind, like as you're sitting with someone and you're asking them maybe some of these questions and how is this helpful for you as a provider sitting with someone? Yeah. So I will say, I, I think the way I've made sense of this theory um, and how it's been helpful to me is it's been helpful to me in knowing that I'm always trying to foster autonomous motivation for the things that are important to them. And so I'm always trying to help them move from the controlled motivation to autonomous. But honestly, the how of how you do that, less about the theory to me. Um, again, I might occasionally <laughs> talk about that. But um, IFS has honestly been the most helpful how. I think there's been other tools prior to that that have helped me help people shift. But I think, at least for me, too, realizing like a lot of my work, depending on when someone comes to me and what they've learned and unlearned about the world and how we approach eating and bodies, (laughs) is that a lot of my work starts with unlearning and unpacking some of the the ways that they've just felt so much shame and pressure and control over mm-hmm. so, so many of their choices and just helping them to realize like, no, it's uh, totally normal to want to have Halloween candy when it's around, right? Or right. it's totally, you know, and just normalizing those, those desires and then helping them to feel free that not, I'm not saying you have to eat the Halloween candy, but then feeling that freedom to be like, let's explore what works for you. Right. And using the relationship to foster that internal trust and reduce that shame first, but mm. then kind of explore. Cause I think so much of, and, and honestly too, I, you know, I, I've become more comfortable uh, as time go, goes on to acknowledge my own size privilege of realizing like I bring a certain dynamic into the room and, um, and that's going to influence things too. And just having these nuanced conversations, like really open conversations with clients about their experiences and um, helping them know that like, I'm not here to tell you what's right. I'm here to guide you in figuring out what's right for you. And, um, mm-hmm. and you can trust yourself. And uh, again, I think, you know, at least of late, not that I didn't have tools before, but IFS has been a great how for that, but also, yeah, you know, all the other great work that's been done to uncouple weight and health has been um, really helpful and just empowering people to know, yeah, your body was never bad um, Mm -hmm. and it can be trusted and we can learn to reconnect with it, even though there's been a lot of damaging messages there. Yeah. I I think that's what you said about, you know, kind of this helping someone trust themselves and to kind of foster that autonomous motivation from a controlled motivation. And I guess in my mind, as you were saying that, again, kind of looking at with IFS would be like, okay, helping kind of tease out with clarity, the parts of them that are, like you said, saying the shoulds that are maybe being critical, shaming, and that's going to help bring clarity to maybe what's connected to that external controlled motivation. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and even so also probably I could imagine even with maybe even value-based motivation where if like 
they have a value of, I don't know, uh, wanting to move their body every day or something like that, like with intention or whatnot, let's say yoga. Like I want to parts of me, like have this intention of like wanting to move my body every day with yoga and breath work. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they don't do that. They don't invite that for, you know, various reasons, but then other parts of them start shaming that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess what I'm just piecing out of my mind is like, it sounds like it's helping them uncover and bring awareness to the parts of them that are shaming, shooting, criticizing that there's both internal, there might be external shaming and shooting and criticizing maybe from other people or messages that they've received either covertly or overtly. And then with that awareness that in itself with self-energy can help bring more self-compassion, more trust and Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sense of just awareness of like when they when someone does come home, I'm thinking of myself right now where like, yeah. I don't know, a part of me might, might be like, okay, I've done a lot of sitting today and I feel it in my body. You know, I feel just kind of achy and like I, a part of me is like, you know what, I'd like to go on the Peloton bike, you know, when I get home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I get home. And my son's, you know, like relaxing on the couch and he's so cute and snuggly and, you know, and it's like, I get on the couch and I make that decision to sit with him and snuggle with him, but to bring awareness to if there's a part that gets activated within me that then starts shaming that decision yeah, and to turn towards that with compassion Mm -hmm. and curiosity, as opposed to getting blended with that shame and then feeling like crap. Yeah. Uh, again, I think it just speaks to the power of being able to turn t- inwards towards ourselves in this way mm-hmm. with that curiosity. And I think the, yeah, compassion is like a game changer. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know about you, but IFS for me personally, the biggest transformation was changing my relationship with my inner critic and yeah. critics. Um, and like, I mean, I learned the research about self-compassion many a year ago and I was like, this sounds cool. I can't do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. How do you I do could, that? Yeah. How? Like that yeah. sounds awesome. And yeah, I mean, I think that's for me personally, that's been the biggest game changer of like, oh, cause it, my critic still comes up and yeah, but I just I'm like, okay, I see you. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. And then you can make a self-led decision of what you want to do in that moment, right? Instead of mm-hmm. it coming from like you like the the controlled motivation. Right. It can be a self-led yeah. mm-hmm. self-led decision and like with back to my example with myself, I've had those moments where I've gone on the couch with my son, I've noticed that part, you know, making that maybe some critical statements of like, well, wait a minute. Mm-hmm what are you doing? And, and then I'll notice that pause and then I'll make a decision, but I feel like from my self energy of calmness and clarity with that to be like, you know what, I'm going to keep sitting with my son. Cause I haven't seen him all day and I just want to snuggle with him and hug him. And then sometimes yeah. I might make a self-led decision of like, yeah, I'm going to sit here and hug him, give him a kiss. And then I'm going to stand up and just kind of do some stretches, you know? Yeah. 
right. move my body around a little bit, you know, and maybe I go stand over on the side and give myself more space to do some yoga flow or whatever, you know, but, mm-hmm. but it, if mm-hmm. it's coming from that self-led place, yeah. then that feels so much just ease and flow rather than it coming from, oh, I got to do this now. Uh, because if I mm-hmm. don't, then yeah, I'm unhealthy or I'm a bad person. Right. 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 And, and yeah, I mean, and maybe eventually using that as a trailhead to be like, hmm, interesting, where is that coming from? What's exactly. it related to for me? Because most people living in our culture have some, I guess body shame might be a little too extreme to say most people have that, but like most people have something and we've had that, that critic part come in for a reason. And yeah, just like, yeah. So I love that mm-hmm. the flexibility in the moment to make that choice. And then, and maybe eventually, cause I think most of us, there's a lot to unpack there. And even I feel very healed up around many of my disordered relationship with food parts. Um, but even for, you know, there's always more to explore <laughs> whenever, oh, yeah. whenever people are ready for it. Right. Uh-huh. So just being like, okay. And that can create even more harmony and peace with, with some of those decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this was very helpful for me to sit here with you and hear you describe these different types of motivation because I have never heard about them talked about in that way. Yeah, and not that well known. So, yeah, I, I yeah, I've never heard of it. You know, I've never heard of the self determination theory. And but again, I just think it's so fun to be able to to take something that's been around for a long time and then to be able to kind of look at it with this IFS lens. Yeah. I, I So thank you so much for coming on and talking about yeah. this and sharing about this. If people are interested in contacting you, but also just what you are providing, like within your business and practice, obviously you have your podcast, Motivation mm-hmm. Made Easy, Body Respect, True Health. And I'll put the link to mm-hmm. that in the show notes. And what else? Yeah. What else are you providing right now? service wise. Yeah, so that's um, the question of the hour. It's always changing. But as of now, <laughs> um, I do have uh, my private practice, which is mostly full, although you always, you know, if you're a great fit. Um, I'm in Michigan, but I do have uh, side packed approval. So I can see people in some other states too. So you can always inquire. Um, so I work with people one on one, primarily in the area of eating um, these nuanced eating topics, you know, binge eating is probably the most common thing that I um, see people for. And, um, but on the other side, I technically have two LLCs, very related LLCs, but the other side is the podcast. And, um, there I'm shifting more towards providing some support and consultation for professionals who want to learn more about these areas. So, you know, therapists, I've done some workshops for therapists, dietitians, coaches who want to help understand the different parts of their clients. So, I've, um, not exactly sure. I'm looking at some possible like small cohort uh, consultation groups for professionals. So if you're interested in any of that, make sure you jump on my email list. Just go to my website, drshawnhundrup.com and grab. I actually have a parts um, a free resource that'll, I think it's a the pop-up on the website, which is, you know, understanding how to work with parts of your clients that maybe want to lose weight, but helping them balance that. And so I have a um, workshop or a resource uh, PDF about that. Um, But that's a great place to just know 
I just a week ago went on a women's retreat. So I'm kind of the wheels turning about maybe offering some type of retreat at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we shall see, but there's always different things. And I'm actually right now leading a very small group that I called the Embodied Learning Collective that we're going through the No Bad Parts audiobook and doing mm-hmm. the exercises together and just sharing our process. So honestly, that's, oh, that's been cool. really fun. Yeah. yeah. I don't know for sure if I'll do that again, but I'm just dabbling right now doing, doing what is, has been, uh, and honestly brings me a lot of joy and it's been interesting to kind of delve into work like that. So, um, definitely have people keep in touch if they're interested in any of those types of things. Perfect. And I'll put, yeah, in the show notes, I'll put a link to your website, social media accounts and email, all of that. Sounds good. Wonderful. Well, yeah. Thank you, Sean, so much. I really appreciate your time and your knowledge. Yeah. And I, anytime I can chit chat about IFS stuff and how it incorporates to other interesting avenues, I love it. So thank you. Yeah, yeah of course. This was super fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a rating and leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Natalie Deering and sign up for my newsletter on my website, ndwellnessservices.com to receive updates about podcast episodes, workshops, and more.